7. This is in context now also of the Lord's return. You'll see that. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be you also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And that is so true. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, I ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I pray for your mercy, your grace, and your help. Lord, I pray that your word would have free course. Lord, I pray your spirit would work. Lord, please, uh, take away distractions. Take away distractions in the minds and hearts of people right now. Lord, I pray your word would, would, would bear fruit, would work in our hearts and draw us closer to you. May it meet the needs that are here in this room. Please strengthen us and use this to feed us and help us grow. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. Lord, I pray for their salvation. I pray that even this morning they would repent and place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, please work. Lord, I love you and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When, when I began serving the Lord in, in high school, um, again, it was the first one that came to know Christ in my family. Uh, with me and my mom, my, my brother, and I had an uncle and aunt who, who they brought me to church, so they were in the family that, that they did know the Lord. Um, but I had come to know the Lord, and uh, I didn't begin growing until a couple of years later. It was the start of my, end of my freshman year, start of my sophomore year of high school. The church finally got a new pastor in. And so I began to grow at that time. The summer between my freshman year and sophomore year was a really, really when I began to see what the Lord was all about and wanting to serve Him. So when I head back from my sophomore year of high school, my life is much different. And now let me fast forward a couple of years into that. Let's fast forward end of junior year, senior year time frame. All right, I've now been in this youth group for a couple of years. And um, the, and the church I was in, although it was a Baptist church, it certainly was not an independent, fundamental Baptist church. Um, but it was, it was a Baptist church. And, and the pastor certainly had taken an interest in me, wanted to see me grow, as well as all of the teenagers and members of his congregation. And, um, but fast forward my junior, senior year. By this time, I have been, my life had changed. Remember, I lost most of my friends by that sophomore year uh, in high school. But I had a lot of the friends in the youth group. However, by, by my senior year, some of those that I was closest with, including my best friend in the youth group, I was having to separate from. He was going a different direction. He was, he was heading the way of the world. He was playing one, one way at church and another way when we were together. And so I remember a time being frustrated. I, I didn't have... The, 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 I mean, this is my... I'm in high school. I'm 17, 18 years old. Um, I, I, I had... Friends, including some family that I was very close with prior to this. Best friends. That was over with now, that relationship. 
the, the ones that I was close to in high school, nine friends, you know, no, that I didn't did. You know, I'm trying to serve the Lord. And then those even in the youth group now, I'm having to separate from. It was frustrating. I remember thoughts with everything going on, the different, and, and persecution coming from both sides with it, by the way, from both sides with it. And, and in the youth group, them making the accusations, you know, you're just trying to be holier than now. I wasn't at all. I, I, I honestly, I just wanted to do what was right. That was it. And I knew what I was seeing. It wasn't even close to borderline. We're talking just outright stuff that is wrong. And, and I remember thinking, I had the thought hit. I just want to go back to being normal. What I meant by that is worldly. I just want to go back to being normal. I was getting tired of the fight. And, and the, 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 some of the isolation that went with it. I'm like, I'm 17, 18. And you have to be very careful when you're under times of persecution or suffering or those difficult times because many times you make really bad decisions that aren't right, that will take you right out of the will of God. So how you respond during those times is incredibly important. Because your decisions, I promise you, will not only affect your life, it will affect those that are around you. Others will be involved. And many times the decisions you make will remove you right from the will of God. Don't believe me? Think of Moses. When the children of Israel are constantly chiding against him, as the Bible says, complaining and murmuring. And finally, the Lord tells him to, to, to speak to the rock. And you know what he does out of anger and frustration? He hits it twice. That affected him, didn't it? I mean, it affected the nation. They're complaining and murmuring. It certainly affected the nation of Israel. But we're dealing just with Moses as a person before God. And that decision out of anger and frustration over all the difficulty that he was facing, in his case, in ministry, it cost him. He didn't get to go into the promised land. Peter almost committed murder when the Lord was arrested. He made a wrong decision. And the Lord had to intervene. Abraham, not understanding what was taking place in his life, and, 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 and he actually almost lost his wife. At another time then... I, I, I mean, you can think of what he did talking to his wife in another time with him not understanding exactly how God was going to honor his promise made another bad decision. Well, I, I, and him and Sarah decided, well, maybe it's not through you, Sarah, that the promised child's going to come. And then all of a sudden, he takes this handmaiden that came out of Egypt, by the way. That's a bad Come out of, when you, you decide to go into the world, you better be careful what you bring back with you. Amen. And another child was born named Ishmael. And if you know any of the history of the world, that much of the Arab population stems from Ishmael. We know that if we're genuinely going to follow the Lord, suffering will come. We're seeing churches right now trying, how, trying to figure out a way really to get around that. Because in the United States of America, there was never actually a reproach when it came to following Christ. It was culture and it was expected almost. That's no longer true. So we're seeing suffering come in our own nation. 
James, think of the context of the book of James. I've preached through this entire book. James is one of the very first books written in the New Testament. It takes place before Paul's ministry ever happens to the Gentiles. It takes place when the persecution hit at the hands of men like the Apostle Paul, and they were spread out from Jerusalem. James, the half-brother of the Lord who wrote this epistle, he was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And he's trying to encourage his flock who had spread out because of the persecution. Trying to get them to stay faithful and do right. Don't quit. This is part of that. To provide help for the suffering Christian. Suffering Christians. And in this portion of the text, he brings out the importance of this word patience. How to, to be patient during times of suffering. Usually, which is natural, it's true of me, I'm sure it's true of you, we just want it to end. That's all we want. Lord, just end it. But as we see here, the key is patience. It's patience. We need to know how we can be patient when the suffering is long-term, when there doesn't appear to be an end in sight. We need to know how to respond and behave during those difficult times. Our testimony and our effectiveness as salt and light is at stake. And what James does here in this text is he gives us three areas we need to be patient in during times of suffering, persecution, difficult days. We need to be patient. Well, I'm going to go through these. We're going to need, we need to be patient when things are, number one, out of our control, like with the farmer. We need to be patient when, when we are suffering because of undeserved actions from other people, like with the prophets. And then we also need to be patient in suffering when things happen that we don't understand and can't even explain, like with Job. So the Lord will use those three illustrations. The farmer the prophet, and that of Job. And teach us how to be patient. So what he's doing is, by the way, don't ever forget, the truths of the Word of God all hinge on faith. What he does is, God gives us truth and principles that God will always honor. And then our responsibility is the faith to trust in that. It's not a magic book. We want to take everything in a pill and it's done. What makes the difference when the truth is given is where your faith is, is in that truth. Where it lies. So first, as we get into this, before I get into those three, what I find very interesting is the word patience here in our text. So we need to look at that. The word patience is used five times in this text. What's interesting, though, is we have two different words that are used for patience, and they have different meanings. The first word that is used predominantly in this text is the word macrothumio. It has the idea, uh, a macro means large, probably large. Thumo has the idea of heat or anger. All right, so what it's teaching is, is patience, and you're going to see this, in regards to our relationships with others. That there's a necessity of long-suffering, long-tempered. So anger doesn't come in. Slow to anger. Long-suffering in regards to relationships. Patience in our relationships. 
that word of the five times used, this word is used four of the times. So the idea is, as we go through the use of that word in these illustrations, in the first two, is that we're not allowed anger to take over when suffering and persecution and difficult times. We're to be long-suffering, long-tempered. We are to be patient, not giving place to anger. Because we all know anger is a strong possibility when you are suffering as the results of other people. Ask Moses like I've already talked about. When anger comes in, you will make wrong decisions. Again, you've heard the illustration before. I brought up just a few weeks ago. It comes to my mind when I was in New Guinea. I was already frustrated. that The, the work was going slow. The, the spiritual growth was slow. People that having to teach adults how to read. And, and it was frustrating as a ministry. You're, you're putting everything in us. You see such slow growth. And I show up on a Sunday morning. The attendance was down. That was discouraging. You've prepared this. You're ready to preach it. There's just a few people there. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm looking out. I got, I got the one guy who's completely out sleeping. I mean, his foot's up on one pew. His head's back. His mouth is wide open. I, I wanted to throw something in his mouth. Two, two ladies sitting there reading a, one of my kids' books between them like you don't notice. Like, they're, they're trying to pretend like they're not, I can't tell. When you're on the phone, it's in your lap between your legs, you don't think I can notice. I can notice when you're doing that, all right? And I, I'm not exaggerating. Attendance was down, so there's not a whole lot of people there. The only ones listening was my family seated on the pew over to this side. And that's when anger took over. I simply slammed my Bible shut in the middle of my preaching, and I said, if you don't want it, I don't need to give it. And I left. And I left. Now, that did work. I never had that problem again. But looking back, I don't think that was the right response because of the emotion that was behind it when it took place. Anger leads you to make wrong decisions. When people do us wrong, we need to be able to trust God that we, we don't act with vengeance. I mean, think of Romans twelve nineteen. We were just dealing with that a couple of weeks ago. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto the wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. That's why we trust the Lord with it. We stay on our side of the fence and let God stay on His side of the fence. Then, still looking at this word of patience as we're going through that, that word will be used in regards to the farmer and to the prophets. But it changes the word patience when it gets to Job. This word is different. The word, the word patience there switches in the Greek, and it, it's patience not in regards to people, but in regards to circumstances. It's the same word that actually James used in James chapter 1 when he's talking about uh, 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 being patient. Because the truth is, we will suffer, face persecution, difficult times, both as a result of people and as a result of circumstances. And we have to trust the Lord with both and exhibit that patience. Patience. So let's get into the three illustrations that the Lord gives us here to be a help to us when we are going through those tests. First is the farmer. Let's go to heaven again.
says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Let's stop right there. So here we have an illustration of the farmer. And what he's using here is we're going to see, he's, he's demonstrating the importance of patience when, when you are suffering, when there's persecution or difficult times, and it, things are out of your control. It's things you can't control. Even right now, there's a lot of things in our own nation that are simply out of our control. And it can be incredibly frustrating. We have the example of a farmer. A hard-working farmer. In the late fall, he waits for the rains to arrive to begin preparing ground. In this, over, in this part of the world, the, the early rains were in the fall, and the latter rains would be actually in the spring. He works, he works diligently to get the ground. He sweats and he works. He gets the ground ready. He, he, he wants to have a good crop. I mean, you could just see all the labor that goes into this to get everything ready to be planted. And so the farmer does all that he can do. But the rest is completely out of his control. He can't make it rain. He can't produce the sun when it's needed. He can't produce the rain when it's needed. The rest is out of his control. Many times we can get so frustrated and so angry when difficult times hit because it's simply out of our control. So when it's so important that, again, faith is involved and we learn patience and trusting in God. And this is an area that I have to work on. I like to be able to plan everything out. I like to see it. But there's so often, I think it's one of the reasons why the Lord decided to throw me in New Guinea. Just so he can throw so many things at me and I just got to say, I, I just have to trust the Lord. There's no other choice. The farmer does all the work. He now waits for the latter rains and hopes for a great, a great crop. And he doesn't control that. Again, too often, we can lack patience when things are... And the word is perfect for this, because what happens is this. When things are out of your control, many times you begin to make wrong decisions instead of patience taking over. I don't know how many times in my office I've counseled people, I hear the decisions they're making, and I'm telling them, I see the emotion that's behind it, uh, the the patience that isn't there, and I'll plead with them, please, this is a wrong decision. You don't want to do this. This is not what you want. And it might alleviate a temporary circumstance. But the answer is, trust God. Wait. Wait. Once the farmer has done his work, he has to wait patiently for that precious crop to be ready. He has no control of the weather. He has to be patient. And it, think about it. If he needed his... Well, well, you know what? It really helped me if my crop could actually come up in January. That's not going to happen, is it? He has no control over that. None. See, the farmer teaches us 
a few important principles when it comes to our persecution and our suffering in difficult times. It, it teaches us that timing in life and in circumstance is in God's hands. It's in God's hands. It teaches us that we do what we can do. We follow the Lord as He gives us the ability, what He has put in our, our, our ability to do, and we trust Him with the things that we can't do. That's what we do. You stay faithful with what is right, because if the devil can do anything, if he can just stop you from, from doing what's right, from giving up, from saying, you know, I, I, all of a sudden he makes you think you can't see light at the end of the tunnel, when you have to remember, you have to trust God. So often we can be so outcome-based that we forget that what the life is all about is the relationship with God. It's not even about that outcome. It's not. And if you get so focused on that, your frustration will go and you can easily quit. Stay focused on the Lord. Now the harvest time, notice what he does here with the har- for the farmer. He gets so excited when the crop hits. All the work was worth it, wasn't it? He sees an amazing crop come up. He can harvest it. Now, contextually here, the harvest time for our Christian life is when? When the Lord returns. It's our harvest time. That's when, that's when we reap the benefits of our serving the Lord faithfully. Whether that's through death that we meet Him, or, very possible, we can be the generation that actually sees the return of Christ. So the harvest time for us, in context here, is when the Lord returns. This helps greatly in suffering. This is what allowed, This is where faith can help the patient stay true in your life, not to allow frustration, not to allow anger to take over, not to quit. We're to be patient unto the coming of the Lord. Remember, according to Titus chapter 2, this is our hope. So it does two things here to help us during those difficult times. We're going to see it. He covers two areas, and they're both impressive. The Lord's return is our hope, and it gives fear for us. It's our hope that one day, what we're going to will all be over with. Our life is as a vapor. It appears for a while and vanishes away. We're here for a short time. What you're going through will shortly come to pass. That's true. Do you understand that? That's true. Even though right now in the midst of it, you, you, you think you can see no end to it, but there is. It will come to pass. Don't forget that. It'll end. Stay faithful. Don't quit. Our hope is one day we know we're going to be with the Lord. We stay patient until that end. The reason why the farmer waits patiently and does this year in and year out is because he knows the crop's coming. And for us, I mean, think, think contextually here. Our harvest is a sure thing. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. There was a, she spoke here to our ladies at our church, but Joyce Crotts in New Guinea. Um, she had told us they were in Kokopo, and of course we were over on New Ireland, and, and uh, we would head, we'd travel to their house three or four times a year at the air-conditioned house. They're in Kokopo. We loved it. And so she would talk at times. She would go out with her husband on some of the bush trips. 
um, where they would be staying in the house boys in rough situations. And she, would do, she did that several times throughout his ministry. And what she said was this. She says, no, it wasn't difficult on me. She said, because I knew I was going home in a couple of days. In other words, she had hope when she was there. She knew this isn't my life right here right now. I'm going back. Do you see how that applies to us? This isn't our home right here. One day we're going to be with the Lord. Don't forget that. Not only does the coming of the Lord give us hope, but look at verse 9. It also leads leads to a fear, if you will. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Now, there's a few things to unpack in this verse. The judge standeth at the door. This is dealing with the fact that when the Lord does come, there is a judgment for us. That leads to fear. The judge is at the door. A reference here again to the return of Christ that we will meet him one day, but we will also be judged. Not only will that end our suffering, our persecution, but we also will be accountable for our actions before him. And the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Listen, it does. It does help us. It does motivate us to do what's right. To know what. Listen, one day I'm going to stand literally before the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be found right. Not that you quit. Not that you allow the anger to take over. So he's saying, forget, it's, it's your hope, yes. But there's also fear there. You will be judged for your actions. Stay faithful. <clears throat> And with that, notice he goes again back to the relationships that we have with each other. He says, in light of that, you've got to be careful when those difficult times hit that you don't grudge one against another. The word to murmur, sigh, groan, complain. If the idea is, all of a sudden, instead of using faith in the difficult times, faith during your suffering, you start allowing your problems to affect your relationship in a negative way with others. For instance, this can, this can manifest itself in different ways. But all of a sudden you can start thinking, well, I am the only one that has to go through this. Why is this happening to me? And all of a sudden that affects how you're relating to others. The encourager, stay away from that. Stay focused on the Lord. This comes from being self-centered, which is easy to do in, in hard times. It is. It's very easy to do during difficult times to get very self-centered. Avoid it. Avoid that temptation. Because you're just a step away from justifying your anger, justifying your frustrations, therefore justifying the actions that will feed off of that. And that will affect your relationship with others. Instead of, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, being able to rejoice in the Lord. In what you have with Him. Therefore, being salt and light. The self-centeredness takes over. You see the difficult time that you're facing. All of a sudden, the inward grumbling can take place. And because it's a result of suffering or persecution... 
it's so easy to justify in your mind. It's so easy to say, it's so easy to say, I get to do this, but you don't. Exercise faith. You know, faith makes the greatest difference in life, not on the mountaintops in life, but in the valleys. Stay focused and it will come to pass. The toil one day will be over. The Lord will return. When we were in New Guinea, uh, Marion really did a great... For, she had to take care of the household and everything like that. She did an amazing job in all that she had to go through. There was just one thing that gave her a great deal of trouble. The generator. The generator. We put it on in the evening. The fridge would go on for four to six hours. Right as everything was getting ready to thaw, we'd turn the generator on. It, it would have six hours on that, and that would be enough, at least to keep things from spoiling. And so me and Dan, we even had our own thing worked out because the generators were always breaking down. And so we'd have the generator. We'd turn it on about 5, 6 p.m. that evening, each evening. We would turn it on. That's when it's time to relax, head into the house. We'd turn the generator on. The ceiling fans are on. We could re- relax a little bit. You know, but I don't know how many nights. It'd be an hour or two into it. And all of a sudden, our power would go, you can hear the generator struggling. The lights are dipping and going down. And, and we knew we have to, sp- we, we learned the hard way. You have to sprint to get to that box and kill the switch that's allowing the generator to feed in the house. Or everything's going to fry. And you've got to replace it all. And so we would do that, would hit, the generator would be fluctuating, a problem would hit, we'd kill it, and, and usually the generator would be down. Rarely was it just an easy fix down there. That was rarely the problem. Usually it took week, two weeks to get the thing back up and running. And so I'd come back in. If I didn't see Marion, I knew where she was if the generator went down. I'd go to the bedroom, the door would be closed, the kids would not know. I'd open up, she'd be sitting on the edge of the bed just sobbing because it was the generator. I sit down, she says, I don't get why the Lord would do this. I mean, we're here, we're trying to do what's right. We just want power for a few hours. And then it's my job as a husband to change that perspective. To try and get her to see it from a different point of view. And she said, well, you know, what about those that are in caving and Kokopo? They, they don't have this problem. And then I would also remind her, I said, yeah, but what about those who are even suffering greater than us right now? What about those? You have to be careful during those times. It's where faith comes in. Then he goes from the farmer to the prophet. He says in verse 10 now, he covers a different angle of suffering and persecution. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Not only do you need to be faithful when things are out of your control, but you also need to be faithful when you're being persecuted or suffering and it's not even close to being deserved. When you're doing right even. When you're trying to serve the Lord and yet suffering and persecution come. And so he uses the prophets as an example. And quickly, this can, this can cause you to quit, uh, to have anger take over when you're not demonstrating that long-tempered, that long-suffering Many of the prophets of God, who use examples, suffered greatly for their faith. I mean, Isaiah, he suffered. He was sawed in half. Think of what Jeremiah went through. Wow. The constant suffering of his life. Hosea. John the Baptist being beheaded. Stephen, who was stoned. 
Or even Joseph. What happened at the hands of his, of his brothers, then being uh, uh, prosecuted for a crime he never committed? Again, think what had happened had Joseph chosen to follow his flesh and allow anger and bitterness and frustration to take over. He never would have been the prime minister of Egypt. He stayed faithful, knowing God must have a reason for this. Even though it was never deserved. The fact is, people can be hard to deal with at times. Keep the prophets in mind. It's remembering that you're not alone. And it's remembering that God is not punishing you. So often the devil gets in and he wants you to think this is of God. God's not punishing you. So those are two things to remember. One, you have to remember you're not alone. It's not just you. Others have suffered as well. You know, think how that, think again how that affected Elijah. It's not just you. Others have went through this. Others have suffered. You know, and, and we can draw encouragement from that. You can think of those many times who do suffer the same affliction, whether it's something bodily, physical, emotionally. A lot of times they'll connect with each other. Because there's somebody who can relate. And don't think God is punishing you. As you said, we think of the prophets of all they with there is happy or blessed. We think of them as heroes of the faith. Paul was a man who focused on this. He always stayed focused on the eternal, not what he was going on, not the, the moment that he was in. I mean... assuming Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, you can see when he went through Hebrews 11, then he gets into Hebrews chapter 12, and he says, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And then the encouragement to keep on running, stay in the race. The same principle being brought up here. Remember those who went before. You're not alone in this. One day it will end, the Lord will return. God is not punishing you. And then lastly, Job. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Job is an example when you're suffering, there's difficulty taking place, and it's completely unexplainable. You don't get it. I mean, the prophets understood why they were suffering. I mean, they understood the message they were preaching wasn't popular and suffering would come. There are times we can understand when things are out of our control. But Job is an example when you're suffering and there's nothing in your rational mind that can wrap around as to why this is taking place. Why is this happening? When you look back at Job, I mean, you can just think. I mean, he's doing right. He's, he's, he's a man that is esteemed, that people get advice from, respect from. A man that's close to God. The devil coming before him and complaining. As Satan comes before the Lord complaining. And the Lord says, hey, have, have you considered Job? Why don't you bring up Job to me? He says, well, that's because you put a hedge of protection around him. You know I can't touch him. Which, isn't that great more faith of the Lord? There's a hedge around us. Don't miss that in the story of Job. And so Satan's point was this. 
is because Satan knew people as well. He studied us. Satan's point was simple. He just honors you because of circumstances, not because of you. He didn't honor you because you're God. He honors you because of the circumstances you put in his life. He's well-to-do. He's protected by you. You remove that, he'll curse you like everybody else. And then Satan, no doubt, was shocked when God said, do it. I removed the hedge. Just don't hurt him. I think Satan knew he probably lost right there. I do. If God's saying that, he knows. I probably lost this battle. And Satan came up with a great battle plan, didn't he? He wanted to look as if God did this. I mean, there he is having dinner. All of a sudden, these different servants all show up. Was it three in a row? First, what about the cattle and all that was destroyed? Then the sheep of the flocks all being destroyed or stolen. And then the last one coming in, how all of his children are all having got together for a meal. And this story makes it from God. And this wind came. It was so strong and so powerful from these different directions. And it crushed the house. They were all killed. Could you just imagine being Job in that moment of everything that just happened back to back to back? Satan right there trying to get Job to curse God. It's completely unexplainable. Job knows he's right with God. And his response is incredible. You know, I, I, I do. I, I think that this is one of those times the Lord might not have it. This is just a, a McGovernism. I think the Lord allowed a whole lot of the host of heaven to watch that day. To see his response. Of what he would do at that moment. And then, as he just rose up, of course, he rent his garment. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It showed right there. Job served God because God was God. So many today, Satan's right. You serve God because they want the blessing that go with it. That's what I want. If I don't get that, no, we serve him because he's God. He's the creator. Job, by the way, and all that he ended up going through, we know that Satan came back and the Lord allowed him to touch his body. Even his wife told him basically to commit suicide. He had his, his friends coming up, trying to figure out what great sin he had in his life. And Job pleading with him, no, I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't know what's going on. But I've stayed faithful. Them not believe, nope, nope, you've clearly done something, Job. I mean, God is just, look at all the destruction that the Lord has allowed to come upon you. But he never quit. He never went against the Lord. What Job did not know was how God was even using this. The Lord never told him. But what Job did know is, we do see that in the book of Job, was he did know God would use it. And God was using this crown a greater way than Job ever knew when he was in the middle of it. And we can learn from Job how God has a greater purpose in our sufferings. How we can take things that are evil and turn them into good. There are three ways that the Lord used the suffering in the life of Job. For one... God demonstrated before Satan and the host of heaven a man of true faith. A man of true faith that truly honored God because he's God. God also used the trial to strengthen Job's faith. Job said these words, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. 
<clears throat> and then, when you get in through the book of Job, I get into Job in, into the chapters 22, 23, 24, you see the faith of Job growing. In Job 23, he says this, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now he's speaking about what's happening to him in the midst of the trial. When I shall come forth, I shall come forth as gold. He's seeing God can use this. Remember that. Even though this is completely unexplainable, and you can't see, you don't understand why God's allowing it. Understand that God can use it to strengthen you, to help you. It also, thirdly, it increased Job's understanding of God, the Creator Himself. It helped Job to know God, God better than he ever did before. We see that in Job chapter 42 as the chapter finishes. And make no mistake, as it says in our text here, the Lord knew exactly what Job was going through. He did. When Job was hearing the news, the Lord understood the pain he was feeling at that moment. The sorrow that hit his life when he found out all his children were taken. And you know the Lord, I know that with the angels there, stay faithful, don't quit. Job, God can use this, don't quit. I know you don't understand right now, stay faithful, don't quit. And by the way, when you get to Job 42.10, he blessed him with twice as much as he had before. So to finish this up here this morning. The Christian life isn't an easy life. It has its battles. It has its hardships. And how we respond during those times is so important. It's so easy to allow anger, frustration, just to take over in some of those moments. But he said, remember, if things are out of your control, consider a farmer. Just trust in the Lord. That's, that's a key. Or when all of a sudden you're suffering, it doesn't even see, it's not even right. Consider the prophets. You're not alone. It's not God punishing you. You're not alone in this. Others have went through it. God's, God is no respecter of a person. The same grace He gave them, He'll give you. Trust in God. And thirdly, even at the times you can't even explain why you're going through this. Why, Lord? Uh, why is it my spouse? Why is it my child? You've got to trust Him. You have to settle in your heart that God is good because He is. It's who He is. And we live in a sin-cursed earth. We have to trust Him that in His sovereignty, even though we're in a sin-cursed earth with free will, He can still give us strength for those difficult days. He can still allow our heart to rejoice again. He can restore that life that the moths have eaten. I finish with this from Paul. He asked the Lord three times to take away this thorn in the flesh. Lord, please remove it. Please. This is the Apostle Paul. And as we get through what Paul learned in the experience of the thorn of the flesh... By the time you get through those verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 there, you find Paul praying, don't take it away. Leave it in place. Don't remove it from me. I need it. You know what we learn? My grace is sufficient for thee. 
Do you know God's grace? There's nothing in your life you will ever face that God's grace is not sufficient for. Nothing. Nothing. It is available and it can be accessed. What's the key? Faith in God. Knowing He's in control, knowing the Lord is coming, He's going to return, that gives us hope. We know it's over with. We trust Him. And we stay faithful and we don't quit. With heads bowed and eyes closed.